Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. And joining us now is a man that, thanks to Bob Murphy, millions of Met fans will instantly know who I am talking about if I simply say he hails from Lost Nation, Iowa. He appeared in 161 games in his major league career, which spanned seven seasons from 1968 to 1974. He pitched for the New York Mets for the first six years of his career and then the San Diego Padres in his last season. In the Mets' miracle 1969 season, he was instrumental as he pitched six innings or better in nine straight starts, including back-to-back shutouts and tying the club record with 23 straight scoreless innings. It is a thrill to welcome 1969 world champion New York Met Jim McAndrew to 5.40 a.m. Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. Well, glad to be here. Uh, you know, we mentioned in the open about Bob Murphy and Lost Nation, Iowa, which is a farming community of less than 600 residents. You grew up on a farm where your family grew corn, raised chickens on 750 acres. How in the world did you become interested in sports and baseball? Well, I, like every kid, uh, for peer acceptance, it was a lot of fun hang out with the guys. The sports was the thing to do, and uh, my dad was a diehard baseball fan, although back then it was, he was a Yankee fan, which uh, naturally made me a Dodger fan because the only time I really watched baseball was World Series time in the early to mid-50s. And, of course, it seemed like it was always the Dodgers against the Yankees. So it evolved accordingly. And he, he was my first, uh, in fact, in the little town we lived in, there wasn't a summer program for young boys to play baseball. So they went to the booster club and uh, basically got some money together to buy equipment for we boys and uh, scheduled I think we had 20-some games that first year at small towns, you know, within a 25- to 30-mile range. And uh, I knew it excited my dad, and I enjoyed it. So off we were. So you played both varsity basketball and baseball well enough, well enough to draw the attention of University of Iowa, where at the time the future NCAA executive director Dick Schultz was a baseball coach. You also drew the interest of one of the St. Louis Cardinal scouts, Kenny Blackman, who at the time discussed signing you to a contract with the Cardinals. How serious were those discussions, and what ultimately led you to go to college instead of signing with the Cardinals? Well, to begin with, I was six foot and weighed 135 pounds. How's that sound? <laughs> Um, and really, Kenny Blackman, believe it or not, was uh, from a little town called Oxford Junction, Iowa, which is six miles west of Lost Nation. And that's where he taught and coached when he was <clears throat> a young man. And then he got into baseball later on. But he, I actually played uh, Little League Baseball in the summertime with his son, John, and uh, his older brother, a, a Princeton grad, um, used to come out and spend summers with his grandmother, Rich, there in uh, Lost Nation, and actually worked on the farm with us a couple of summers when he was a teenager. So I'd known the <clears throat> Blackman family as long as I can remember, I guess that's oh. what it amounts to. Wow. And uh, Dick Schultz actually became the head baseball coach because Otto Vogel, 
who was the head baseball coach there, was elderly and had some health problems. But Dick was also the assistant basketball coach at Iowa <clears throat> when I played basketball and baseball there for my first couple of years. And, and when, you, so, when you were playing there, you actually got hurt, your, your knee, and that's what made you switch over to all baseball, right? Correct. Yeah, that's ultimately what got me out of the game. Um, I still have torn ligaments in my left knee as far as uh, some crucial ligaments that are torn, but not so severe that I can't walk. I just can't um, make any lateral movement is what it amounts to, but uh, a blessing in disguise all, <laughs> all works out in the end. It's interesting, too, because while you were on the radar of the Cardinals, the the, the the game that really shifts the attention to you is a game against Ohio State's top pitching prospect and the future first-round draft pick, Steve Arlen. You lost to Arlen in the Buckeyes in that game 3 nothing. All three of the runs were unearned. What did that start mean to your career? At the time, I had no clue. Uh, all, all I'm saying is that uh, I was hoping for an opportunity to play, and all honesty, the only scout that ever talked to me like they were going to draft me, was a scout from the Cubs. So I didn't know uh, Mr. Fry, Charlie Fry, the, the scout uh, that worked for Bing Devine, who had been with the Cardinals in years past out of the St. Louis area, but was a, a Met scout at the time, ultimately made the decision, I guess. But he said he saw me pitch against Arlen and thought I showed some promise, and I was coming off a... Uh, the previous year, my junior year, I'd hurt my elbow, and I hadn't played at all. And uh, I was still coming back, shall we say, from that. So just a, I'm a creature of, of basically things unfurling as the years went by. <laughs> so you, you mentioned Charlie Fry, and it's because of him the Mets draft you in the 11th round of baseball's inaugural draft in 1965. And it should be noted, that was one round ahead of Nolan Ryan. <laughs> Before Nolan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what do you remember yeah. most about draft day, and how did you find out the Mets picked you? Um, a phone call. <laughs> Back then, uh, nobody knew anything. And, of course, this was the very first year of the draft. Yeah. So I really didn't, didn't have a clue. I hadn't pitched in, gosh, I think – five weeks or something like that. When I found out I was drafted, I signed right away, went to Marion, Virginia. And I remember uh, working out for two or three days with a bunch of guys. And then all of a sudden you started a game, you waited a few days, you started another game. And then I was on a, a plane to Auburn, New York with, uh, my memory serves me correctly, Billy Wynn, uh, Steve Smith, and I think uh, Jimmy Dix. All of us uh, went to Auburn and played there the remainder of the summer. So welcome to professional baseball. It's pretty interesting because you mentioned going to Marion, Virginia, in the rookie-level Appalachian League. Uh, Pete Pavlik was the manager there. And if you looked at that roster, it had a lot of future major league talent. Besides you and Nolan, that pitching staff also had Jim Bibby and Don Shore. And believe it or not, the first baseman on that team was Steve Ranko, who would go on to win 134 games as a pitcher in the majors. When you right. saw all that talent, you know, what, what, what was going through your well, head? And did you believe, like, you belong? When you saw that and you could hold your own, did you say, I belong here? I don't think I was mature enough to look at things that way. I was a kid that just got out of school, very 
immature in every respect. Uh, it was an opportunity to continue playing the game that I, I loved. I loved to pitch. And uh, I just moved forward, that's all. Kept my eyes and ears open, tried to listen to some people that I respected and uh, go out there every fourth or fifth day and see if I could perform well enough to advance. There's a guy about, the, when we talk about the 1969 Mets, there's one guy that really I don't feel gets a, enough credit. And I, I think he was very instrumental in, in your career. And that's Bob Sheffing. Um, he, right. he talked a lot to you. He took you, kind of took you under your wing. How big of an impact did he have on your rise to the majors? Well, there were, as I reflect now and look back, there were three people that uh, believed in me more than I believed in myself. And they were Bob Sheffing, Whitey Herzog, and Gil Hodges. Uh, I wish I had as much confidence in myself as they did in me because uh, um, I wasn't mature enough at the time to realize it and take advantage of the fact and, and you know, digest what they were. The only thing that I can remember are the few positive things that you got as feedback came from those three men, and uh, they were special to me, that's all, very special. That says a lot about your talent, those three guys. Sheffing, Gil Hodges, and Whitey Herzog knew a lot about baseball talent, so, so that, that would look very good on any resume. We're speaking of 1969 Miracle Met Jim McAndrew. So while you're in the, the minor leagues, you get to pitch against a future Hall of Famer as Robin Roberts, who was 40 years old at the time, was trying to make a yeah. comeback with the Reading Phillies, who won that day 5-3. It would be his last professional game as he retired after that outing. What do you remember you know, sitting in a dugout watching uh, Robin Roberts, who was legendary even at that time, pitch? Uh, I guess in awe, realizing someone that, that had the career that he had, uh, and once again, the passion that he had for the game to still go out there and try and do it. You know, you know, Redding is just a few miles from Philly, so it wasn't, I'm assuming he was staying at home and just seeing if he still had it. In fact, you should be talking to Duffy Dyer about this game because <laughs> Duffy had a pretty good day against uh, Robin Roberts, that's all. <laughs> and but, I'm yeah, <laughs> impressive. It's pr- Almost as impressive as the summer I pitched, as we called it, beer ball back home when I was pitching for Dyersville. I was in awe of one start that I made, and that's when Satchel Page had his traveling all-stars. And I got to pitch against Satchel and his traveling all-stars and sit around uh, afterward for a couple of hours. I didn't drink beer as a youngster, but... uh, around the beer kegs with all the guys after the game sitting around and talking baseball. And Satchel Page was someone that uh, I guess I was awestruck at the time. I just really enjoyed it. And we beat him up pretty bad, so that was good. Do you, <laughs> remember, do you remember who you pitched against in that game, some of the batters? No, I don't. I sure don't. I have no clue who was on the team. As I said, uh, Maybe somebody in Dyersville could dig something up out of the... <laughs> I am going to find it tonight, for sure. After the show, that, that's my mission. So Yeah, that was back in the summer of 1963. All right, I will definitely find that. So, so one year after pitching against Robin Roberts, okay, 
Sunday, July 21st, 1968, Bush Stadium, you make your major league debut, getting an emergency start against a team who had the best record in baseball at the time, the St. Louis Cardinals. And if that's not enough, the opposing pitcher was another future Hall of Famer, this one in the midst of the best season ever by a pitcher, Bob Gibson. So I have to imagine those two factors make that debut extra memorable for you, but also I have to imagine the nerves are off the charts. Take us through that game. Well, as I look back on it, uh, I hadn't even been invited to a big league camp. Uh, So when I was called and told that I was going to go to St. Louis to pitch, I kind of had to pinch myself to begin with. Uh, I I had, from A ball through triple-A baseball, I was always the second, third, fourth starter on the team. I mean, Alan Schmelz and and Kuzman were the the big stars when I was in 66. When I played in A ball and in 67, we had, later on in the year, we had Gentry and Matlick, but we had Bob Johnson, Jerry Johnson, um, and Alan Schmelz was again the number one pitching prospect in the organization. I didn't even get to pitch at the start of the season. A couple guys got hurt, and I had a real good season in 1967. So getting called up in 68 and pitching against Gibson, um, it's funny. I guess that most athletes feel that way is that you get real nervous prior to, but once you walk across the chalk or the paint, whatever it may be, it's something that you've done all your life and you just go about what you're doing. And Afterward, I guess I was told by others, and that's why Gil liked me. He said that I was poised, that I was mature, that I didn't lose my composure. And uh, so from that standpoint, I guess I don't remember the nerves other than warming up in the bullpen because I had, once again, Grody was catching at that time. And uh, J.C. Martin was loosening me up in the bullpen before the game. Grody came down to stand in the batter's box just to watch me throw to get familiar with it. And it was right near the end of my warm-ups, as I do remember. And uh, he's joking and talking to the guys and, you know, not really paying attention. All of a sudden I'm starting to, at least from my point of view, air it out and stretch, and I let one go up and in and knock, <laughs> knock him down because he, he wasn't uh, – I guess he wasn't paying attention is what it amounts to. But uh, little things like that, and then the, the fact that Larry Stahl was called up at the same time, and I still look back, you know, as a competitor saying, gee, if, the, if Tommy Agee and uh, Larry had played together there in, as far as the ball to Bobby Tolan, because Bobby Tolan hit an inside-the-park home run, run to yep, beat me. Yep, the only run of the game. Unbelievable. You know, what happened next is very interesting, and I don't think it gets talked about when people talk about your career. So following that start, you were headed back to Jacksonville. And in your last minor league start in the Mets system, you had a perfect game after five innings. Manager Clyde McCulloch comes out, pulls you, because you were scheduled back to to go back to the Mets to start two days later because Nolan Ryan had left the club for his two-week active military duty. So So the questions I have here for you are, Having pitched in the major leagues, how much confidence did you bring back to Jacksonville in that start? 
and because of that game. And then, do you ever wonder if you had stayed in, if you would have gotten those 12 outs to complete that perfect game? Is it something that gnaws at you at all? No, not at all. No, the, the only one that gnawed at me <clears throat> in retrospect was in 68, near the end of the year in New York, pitching against the Cubs. Um, I guess I, naive as I was and being a, a team athlete all my life, I still remember, and it's kind of a, a dig in my side, uh, we beat the Cubs 3-2 to two that night, and uh, I don't know if it was the fifth or sixth inning, but I hadn't given up any hits, and I walk, walk somebody, and uh, Willie Smith, two outs, and Willie Smith had a, a long fly ball to right center, and Tommy is great center fielder, but uh, he actually tapped his glove, which back then when Tommy tapped his glove, that means he had it. And uh, this time he just happened to overrun it, and it hit him in the heel of the glove off his chest and fell to the ground. And uh, that was the only hit. But uh, then Al Spangler pinch hit in the ninth inning and hit a routine ground ball to Boswell at second base. So it wasn't meant to be anyway because – the routine ground ball went right to Bozzi, hit the edge of the grass, and went about 15 feet straight up in the air into right field. Otherwise, you know, every pitcher dreams about a no-hitter at every level, and that was my only chance yeah. <laughs> that particular night as it turned out. So uh, you know. my, uh, my dark side was that uh, <laughs> I, I went in, and there were all kinds of people around my locker as far as reporters are concerned, and... Um, I remember Jack Lang breaking through the crowd. And uh, since we had won, I was elated. But he said, hey, Jim, I was the official scorekeeper tonight. What do you think of my call? Oh, he did? Really? Wow. Wow. <laughs> yep. wow. He, wanted a, he wanted a story, and he wanted me to trash talk somebody. But uh, I, I guess I was too naive to even realize what he was up to <laughs> until, you know, hours later when I realized, why would he do that? You know, that, that's, I'm still that Midwestern farm boy that uh, can't comprehend that type of thinking. You know, it, current Met fans, if, if you're too young to, to focus on Jim McAndrews' career, think of Jacob deGrom and the lack of run support. Because you look at the start of Jim McAndrews' career, his first four starts, the Mets did not score a run. He's still o- a major league record. Yes, he's 0-4 <laughs> with an earned run average of 1.82. Additionally, he gets his first win in his sixth start, which was against Steve Carlton, which means that out of his first six starts, three of the starters he faced were all future Hall of Famers. The game he finally won against Steve Carlton was a one nothing game. You know, take us back to that game, your first major league win. Uh, again, familiar territory because it was in St. Louis and uh... – I guess that that was a summer when I I was healthy the entire summer, and uh, it's kind of like August and September of '69 when I was healthy. I really had the confidence in myself that once I walked out there, uh, I thought I had good enough stuff and good enough location that I could be very competitive. And as I said, I go back to. That uh, start against Chicago in 68, another one of 
a confidence builder for something someone like me is that of course back then you couldn't talk to anybody in the other team or you got fined 25 bucks which was way too much for me to be thinking about paying <laughs> and and i remember the day after i i beat the cubs i'd thrown the back-to-back two hitters against them and i'm walking out of, at bp time and billy williams is standing around uh and he comes over, hey, Mac, hey, Mac, and smiling, and I'm putting my head down as I say, oh, gosh, I don't want to get caught talking to somebody in the other team. And he put his finger to his mouth a few times like he was wetting it up, and he says, where'd you learn how to do that? Where'd you learn how to do that? First, I didn't know what he was talking about, and then I said, wow, that's really a compliment. He must think <laughs> that my, my fastball is moving enough that he has, he has trouble following it. So another confidence builder for me. So, no, I, I guess every time I went out there, when I was healthy and when I was pitching in hot weather, I felt good, that's all. It's funny, it's funny that you mentioned when you were healthy. We all know how 1969 ended, but the start of 1969 for you was really crazy. A disaster. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you, you catch the flu late in spring training after getting a flu shot, no less. Then you no, no, it, wasn't, it, it had nothing to do with that. No? I just, no, I, I pitched 30-plus innings in spring training. Right. But evidently I had uh, good enough movement. I, I didn't throw many pitches. I think I had a .9-something ERA, so I threw the ball well. And, I had, and Gil had all kinds of confidence in me, and I let him down. I came to cold weather, and, and I was terrible. That's all I'll say. I was terrible. And I was just starting to get some form, I guess, at the end of April. And uh, we're playing um, against the Cardinals. And uh, Tim McCarver hit a ground ball up the middle. And uh, I reached for it with my bare hand. It went between my, my index finger and middle finger and bruised my middle finger. Right. But that that was that was but it, didn't you ha, didn't you have the flu early or during spring training? No, that was in seventy or seventy oh, okay. in seventy one. Right, so you right seventy one. I had that. Right, so you had the finger injury, then been soaking it in brine. You got blisters and all that. But also, wasn't there? A, well, it wasn't Brian. He stuck my hand in the whirlpool. Oh, <laughs> and then and then what happened? So you would end up it softened the skin so much that you ended up getting blisters. No, it was it was worse than the blisters in the oh, no. five days of. Five or six days later, I can't remember which it was, I started in Chicago and it got tender, but I tried to pitch through it. But what happened is that I threw the end of my finger off. Oh. I, well, about three or four layers of skin went, and I lost basically the whole month for, oh. my, for my finger to heal. Wow. So it was, I had to work myself back into throwing uh, really I guess it was a, almost the first of June right. before I could throw again. Wow. There was also, so I, I let everybody down, including myself. There was also a story that at one point when you joined the team, you went out for dinner, but while you went out for dinner, all your luggage was stolen from the car? Did that happen? <laughs> yeah, that happened when I first got called up yeah. to New York the second time. My... Um, Family friend relative by the name of Rich Wolf was working in um, New York. He was a cousin of mine that was a couple of years older than me. And he picked me up, took me downtown to 
the Cattleman's Restaurant. And we went in and had a, a steak and visited and came back out, and somebody had drilled his trunk and stole all my stuff. <laughs> so welcome to New York. <laughs> as, I, as I went to the Roger Smith Hotel with basically... It's funny, they drilled the trunk and took everything out, but they didn't take anything out of the back seat. So I had my baseball stuff. That was it. It's funny, (laughs) in retrospect. So before, that really brings a new definition to blood, sweat, tears, and fingers. (laughs) But (laughs) I want to go back to before. You you mentioned finally being healthy, and then also before that when you crossed that line that you were poised and confident. So in August, when you were finally healthy in 69, and you went on that stretch of six or more better and the two you know back-to-back shutouts you're in such a groove and you mentioned being confident and poised but what is it is it the perfect blend of being confident and having the stuff and the location what is it that makes it so like easy and seamless that you just go out there you feel like you could get anyone out well like everything else in life uh, confidence breeds success success breeds confidence so if you shall we say, get on a roll like that. And our pitching staff at that time, you were seeing everybody else do the same thing, so you expected it of yourself. It's contagious, just like good hitting ball clubs when things get contagious and uh, good things happen, that's all. I mean, I'd like to think that from the start of August until at least mid to late September, I pitched real well in every outing, but... uh, I didn't get a chance in the postseason at all because our pitching was outstanding. That's all. You can't, I mean, Seaver was 15 and 7 the start of August. He ended up 25 and 7. Cardwell pitched well. Uh, Gentry pitched well. Kuzman pitched well. I mean, it was just basically everybody went out there and did their job. And I, over the, Super fast, that's all. Over the 12 years of doing this show, I think you are now the 17th member of the Miracle Mets we've had on. Each one of them has a different moment of the 69 season and a favorite Gil Hodges moment. What are yours? Well, of course, selfishly, uh, I guess my high point was uh, the start against Montreal on September 10th, the night I didn't get credit for the victory, but I pitched the game that the Mets went into first place for the very first time in history. I went the first 11, but Taylor won it in the 12th. And then Nolan pitched the second game, and since it was the second game, I was not around for any of the festivities afterward that is not in in uniform and that type of stuff. But uh, that was the most satisfying for, for me to you know, go the 11 innings and help the ball club reach a new height. That's all. And uh, from a personal standpoint that had nothing to do with me from a mental aspect, it was a few days later in Pittsburgh when Cardi and Coos did what they did as far as the two one nothing shutouts against what I deemed to be the best hitting team in, in the National League at that point in time. Um, and having both the pitchers drive in the runs, we just kind of looked at each other and said, we are, this is supposed to happen. Let's just do it now. And it was just amazing how the month of September, well, basically all of August and September went for the team. Except for playing the Astros, we had a great year. 
and your favorite Gil Hodges moment? Uh, I I had so many positive moments with Gil. I can't pick out one. Um, I guess my, my favorite Gil Hodges moment would would have been the the year prior in '68. When, you know, I, once again, I hadn't been around him at all except, you know, usually you get to know guys during spring training and it's just a little more informal. And uh, I hadn't been around him. So when I got called up in 68, another one nothing loss I had was to Houston later on. I remember going out for BP the next day because Gil never sent anything negative. I gave up a solo shot to Jimmy Wynn and lost one to nothing. And I threw something I didn't have that uh, I threw anyway. It was just a, a flop curveball that didn't do anything in the zone. And uh, I think I had him 1-2 and two or 0-2, oh and, and I should have bounced it, but I didn't. And Gill's sitting down at the end of the dugout like he did during BP next to the bag of batting practice balls and he yells at me hey Mac come over here and sit down he picked up a baseball and those big paws of his and started rolling around in his fingers and looked at me says just how did you throw that pitch yesterday (laughs) (laughs) a a teaching moment from his point of view looked at me and smiled and then he says don't ever do that again Uh. and it, it, it just uh he made his point. He didn't embarrass me. He didn't do it in front of others. It was a one-on-one. And uh, uh, I guess he, I always felt he had my back, and I had the utmost respect for the man on and off the field. That's all. Special man. Lastly, well, I have two more questions. I, I got to see you at the 1969 reunion weekend at City Field last month, and I couldn't help but notice, you know, every, to a man, every player grins from ear to ear. And it just seemed that many of you might not have seen each other for years, but it definitely was a band of brothers. What did that weekend mean to you, being around all those guys again? Well, it was great uh, seeing everybody, but uh, missed a few of the guys, like we always do when we get together like that. But uh, it was special because I hadn't seen J.C. Martin in years, and he's had some health issues, so it was good to see J.C. and his family. Um, missed. I'll, I'll talk about the negatives. I, of course, I missed seeing Tom. I missed seeing, not seeing Al Weiss, and of course, so many of our departed brothers in arms back at that time that have since passed on. But uh, it's just like all of us in life. If, once you get to be old like me, <laughs> you'll you'll look back and reflect on special times in your life and the relationships that were developed during those special times. And it, it, it kicks up nothing but positive emotions in your mind and in your heart. So all of the guys, it was, it was just special to be around them. And uh, uh, sometimes some of those things are hard to put into words because they're, they go through your head and your heart and uh, not my vocabulary. And it should be noticed that this current Met team kind of got on a hot streak right after you guys left. So I think maybe you left some of that 69 magic in the clubhouse. 
Before we let you go, we started talking about that start against future first-round draft pick Steve Arlen. I just want to point out mm-hmm. to our listeners that you ended your career with more wins, less losses, and almost a run less a game than Steve Arlen did in his career. So I just wanted to let you know that. Well, I played with Steve for a short period of time. With the Padres. And, and uh, Steve wanted to be more – he wanted his dentistry practice more than he did baseball. He really didn't – he really didn't like the game. He, he, so it wasn't a passion, that's all. You got it. Jim, thank it wasn't you. a passion. Thank you so much for your time tonight, and more importantly, thanks for being part of one of my most memorable childhood memories of baseball, that 1969 team. It, it's, it's what put the Mets in my DNA and, and why I still love that franchise so. So thank you so much for that. Thank you, guys, and good luck with everybody in orange and blue for the the months of August and September and October. You got it. Thanks so much, Jim. Jim McAndrew, 1969 Miracle Met.